Good morning. It's the Cottage Country Insider Podcast. This is episode three. This morning, we have mortgage expert Samantha Garrett calling or coming in for the podcast. Good morning, Samantha. How are you today? Hi, Jim. Good. How are you? Good, good, good. It's a nice sunny day. I think every day I've done these podcasts, it's been sunny. So it's nice. It's beautiful out. Very good. spring weather. Yeah, absolutely. And it's nice when spring comes a little early in the season. So yes. April to get it. So, so yeah, how. Definitely. Just to start off, how busy are you right now say, compared to a year ago? Um, compared to a year ago, I would say probably like 60% of what we were doing last year. So it's a little bit slower, which is kind of, you know, on trend with what we're usually at this time of year. Um, now the past two weeks to a month have definitely like started to pick up though. People getting pre-approvals for spring and we've seen a lot more coming on the market. So it's definitely starting to pick up into the spring market now 2023 is a much different year than 2022 was um if viewers aren't aware of what interest rates and some of the mortgage rules what are kind of the key differences between like you know march 2023 compared to march 2022 yes so i did the math this morning and this year compared to last year our bank of canada's prime rate has gone up by like 4.25 percent mm-hmm. um which is obviously you know massive so that's probably the main thing that everyone's talking about is just interest rates going up compared to last year to now um as well as just the i would say that and you would know this better than i but just the influx of buyers just wanting to overpay for houses and just wanting to get in because of those low interest rates that kind of has subsided a little bit we've noticed yeah. Are are people doing different? I was reading an article in the Globe Mail on the weekend Mm -hmm. and something with new mortgages coming uh, through. um, I think it was the second half of 2022. People are, because of affordability issues, they're amortizing them over longer periods of time as opposed to just the the normal 25-year. Are you seeing that? Um, Not overly because we do 30-year amortizations anyways pretty regularly on you know, anything over 20% purchase or 20% down payment for a purchase or like a refinance that just kind of helps the uh, buyers just with, you know, lower payments. Um, we do have options for like 35 year, 40 year amortizations, but I never personally never do those programs just because those are something you would use in an extenuating circumstance, not on a regular um, basis. So I personally haven't seen that, but I have heard of, you know, people wanting to just push those out because of their payments going up. One of the things I was just at an office meeting this morning, we we're talking about um, talking about people uh, porting mortgages mm-hmm. over. So they they find the house that they like right now. They've got a one of those really sweet twenty twenty one mortgages up one point eight percent. Is yeah. it possible if they want to you know and say the you know the pricing is comparable? They have a five hundred thousand dollar house. They're buying a seven. Is it possible to port those really cheap mortgages? Or are the banks kind of saying no, 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 no? Yeah, it depends on your lender and how your original mortgage was set up, but usually you can port it um, where they get you is if you need more money. So if you need more money, they'll do what they call a blend and extend. So you won't actually get that true 1.8. You'll get, you know, something in the middle of what is available now and that 1.8 because of those extra funds. So does it really matter whether you have a closed or open mortgage, whether you're doing that? Um, no. No, those are usually open mortgages um, often come with higher interest rates. So they're usually closed mortgages anyway. So 
yeah, you can usually blend with or pour sorry with any mortgage as long as it was set up properly. And they and then you're just blending it over. Yeah, exactly. So so if you're a house, you know, if we're looking and we deal with a lot and you deal with a lot of first time buyers that mm -hmm. aren't really used to the mortgage process and what interest rates are, what amortizations, uh, uh, terms of mortgages, you know, what how do you start people off when they come to you and say, well, I want to buy a house? Mm -hmm. What's your process? Um, oftentimes they have a lot of questions. So I do like to ask them right off the hop, like, do you have any questions for me to start us off? And then that usually... Um, kind of gives me a good idea of where they're sitting in their knowledge base so that I can use different terminology with each client. Um, but then generally speaking, how I explain it is often people have a lot of questions about the stress test. So I often explain it of I basically have to qualify you at 2% higher than what your contract rate is going to be. So that's really what has been affected mainly, especially for those first time home buyers. Um, so they qualify for less and everything like that. But I just try to walk them through it step by step and, um, you know, hold their hand as much as I can because it is a scary time. And I remember when I first bought my first house, I was even in the industry and I was still <laughs> scared. So I just try to, you know, walk them through it and answer any questions and just use, use non-scary language. It's not like something that somebody will understand that's not in the industry, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, yeah. always reduce it down so a grade seven student or twelve year old can understand. It, exactly, anyone can understand, so they don't feel bombarded with information that they don't quite, you know, grasp. So, yeah, we when, we, when we're talking to first time buyers, when there's a lot of young people that have been getting in the market the last three years, we we have some of those difficult discussions at the beginning mm -hmm. before we refer them off to a to a mortgage professional like yourself, just mm -hmm. to kind of give them, you know, to, to a pre qualification. Yeah, you know, exactly. You know, you know and, and you ask questions like, have you been bankrupt? Like, yes. Big one. It's a huge one. And what I'm noticing now, post-COVID, actually, is a lot of separation and divorces. So that oh, yeah. has taken a huge hit, especially if you pay child support or spousal support, because that is a payment we have to include on your application. So those are really tough questions that you have to ask. So that's kind of why I like to start off the conversations really light and airy and just they tend to just tell you about their life, right? So you kind of pick pieces of what to ask for and, you know, things to make note of to ask further. If you're going to give uh, first-time buyers a bit of advice and mm -hmm. if they start looking for houses, like, you know, one one bit, what advice would you give them? Because I know what mine is. I'll, I'll say mine after you say yours. Okay. Um, I have two. Can I say two? Okay, okay. Yeah, absolutely. So oftentimes it's, down payment and credit that we see with first-time home buyers because they've never been taught. And I always say this needs to be a, call or a high school course. We need to learn how to manage all of these things for future. Um, but if I could speak to, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-olds, I would say start saving, even if it's like 25 bucks a week or 50 bucks a week, just put it somewhere where you don't see it, either in a, you know, a tax-free savings account or an RSP account, and just make that a, a weekly withdrawal so that that 50 bucks or 25 bucks is just gone and it just sits there so that you know it's in one account it's not moving around you're not having one account here one account there one account there and you're saving for your down payment um because it does cost a lot more than what people generally think it's going to cost to buy a house um and then in terms of credit um 
I would say you need it. So get yourself a credit card or two, at least two, I would say, and pay it. Don't use it for, you know, buying that vacation that you can't afford or whatever. Just put your gas on it, put your groceries on it, and then pay it off so that you're establishing that credit young so that when it does come time to buy a house, there's no questions on credit. Good, good, so those are my good. two. My one is once you've bought a house and been pre-approved, don't go big don't make a big purchase don't go buy that oh, f-150 electric truck because i said that's gonna like euchre you for your mortgage yes yes, yes. like we tell I them mean, right out like don't do anything like that i feel like you and i could probably just sit here all day and just rhyme off things not to do when trying to buy a house because yeah we'd be it, here for three hours yeah exactly but yeah definitely like major car payments are huge are absolutely huge so yeah don't do that either and don't co-sign on anybody's loan or vehicle ever 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 because that yeah just don't do it unless no. you're married <laughs> and, and if you're buying if you're buying a car um i'm trading in my car and i was just saying at our office we're talking about it i got a price on it in may yeah. Last year in a trade, and I got a price on, a, on in June this year. The price this year in June is almost half of what it was last May. I believe that. Yeah. So yeah. sixty-five thousand last May, thirty-two thousand January. So if you're looking to buy a new a used car. There's going to be yeah. amazing deals out there for used cars. Why buy a new one? Well, especially because I feel like people bought a lot of new shiny things during COVID, like boats and trailers and all these types of things. And I feel like this is the year where they're going to come back because people, you know, can no longer afford it or they're making different choices. And mm. I think this will be a good year to buy used things. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. if you're, if, uh, again, if you're a first time buyer, we're kind of just going to work through the first time buyers a bit here before yeah. we move to other things. But what type of mortgages are available on the market? And what's probably the best suited mortgage if you're a 30 something young couple looking to buy your first house? So for a lot of first time home buyers, we do what's called an insured mortgage, which is when you put less than 20% down. So the benefits to that are they often come with um, rate promos. So the rates are often lower than, you know, say a conventional mortgage where you put down 20% or more. Um, Oh, the wonderful thing about the internet that's that's fine <laughs> my you know internet what? is not great at our office either so we, 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 we will edit that minute and a half of dead airspace so <laughs> that's fine when you we're, we're not doing this live of course so we're able to make those edits so we're getting we'll get back there we'll get back you're talking about rates uh for uh, first-time buyers and insured mortgages um yes yeah, so insured, insured mortgage yeah insured mortgages sorry yeah so um insured mortgages i would probably say is the number one for first-time home buyers just because you are able to put down less than 20 percent um downfall is obviously that insurance premium is added to the mortgage uh but you do get a rate promo so often the rates are lower than you know if you put down more than 20 percent, which seems backwards but here we are um there are tons of other options. Obviously, there's just, you know, regular conventional, which is putting down 20% benefit would be you can extend your amortization to 30 years. 
um, as we're with insured or insurable, it's only 25 years. So that is a benefit. Um, and then you get into, you know, a little bit more complex mortgages where it's like mortgage plus the home equity line of credit and stuff like that, where later on down the line, if you have a bunch of equity, that's an option as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if you're, so what about getting, uh, if you're a young couple, you don't have a down payment, is it still good that you can borrow from bank of mom and dad, things like that? Yep. Yeah. You can always borrow, um, what we call a gifted down payment, obviously, and that has to come from an immediate family member. It's pretty easy to confirm that. Essentially, they just deposit the funds into your account. We pull your bank statements and the lender confirms with your parents via a letter and phone call. So it's pretty straightforward and pretty confirmable. So there's always options with that. Um, when, I don't know about Perry Sound, but in Muskoka, we have the grant, like a mm -hmm. first time home buyer's grant that often clients will ask about. Um, I think I've maybe done two or three of them. Um, so that's an option as well. And yeah, if you have really good credit, really good income and all that kind of stuff, there is also options for what we call a flex down, which is essentially when you can use a line of credit as a down payment. But those again are for like 800 beacons, excellent income, you have to qualify it, so. Well, we'll segue over to that a little bit. What is something <laughs> we talk about? Uh, we talk about in our industry. You talk about your industry. Beacon yeah. and credit scores. Yes. So, so what's the top credit score you can get? Nine hundred. Nine hundred. I've seen and, two in seven years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty difficult to get. Uh, yeah. What about if I'm coming in as a home buyer, cottage buyer, and I'm looking and I've got a five fifty? Um, more than likely you'll be what we call an alternative buyer. So would have to do, it wouldn't be with say a Scotia or a TD. It would be more on the alternative side of a slightly higher interest rate, but they allow for that bruised credit to come through, um, with the knowledge that chances are in a year or two, you're going to reestablish that credit and then transfer back over to the A space. Yeah, I love those adjectives. Bruise credit, sloppy credit. They're all negative. They're all they're all negative. So so what yeah. can you do if I'm somebody with a bad credit or bruise credit rating? What can I do in a say a course of a year to improve that credit? If I'm coming in with a 500 or 550. Mm -hmm. Um don't spend money you don't have on credit cards and pay the credit card down to at least 30%, if not the whole way. So 30% we find is kind of the sweet spot with the credit bureaus where they, it doesn't it negatively impact your credit. So when clients have a credit card or a line of credit sitting right at the limit, that's when we really see the scores drop. So try to keep that balance as low and payments on time that's that's probably number one and it's just it's very very important to at least pay your minimum payment so i always tell clients just please set that up as you know automatic so that it just comes out of your account it's probably like 10 15 bucks a month but it makes a huge difference because it does stick on your credit for seven years so so you, you can you improve that beacon score up like 100 200 in the course of a year just by improving your you know your your your, your credit history yeah i've seen clients who you know have been around that 550 600 beacon who just had a bunch of debt no missed payments or anything like that we paid off the debt and then the next time i pulled it it was like high sevens 
Yeah. So it it makes a huge difference. So it's a, it's a matter of behavior, yeah. basically. Yeah. And another thing I will say that um, a lot of people don't know is when you do pay off those debts, don't close them. Keep them active. Use them, like I said, for gas or groceries or something like that, because the longevity of your trade lines and the, um, you know, the history behind it is really what thickens your credit. So you want trade lines for long periods of time. And they want to see that you can manage multiple. So at least have two on the go at all times, um, but never close anything unless you have, you know, multiple other ones to take their place that have been active for quite a while. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, those are great, great tips. So what about your role in this? So you're, you're a mortgage mm -hmm. broker as opposed to going to a bank and speaking with a mortgage officer at RBC or CIBC. Mm -hmm. What What's the advantage of working with a mortgage broker? Uh, firstly, I have to be licensed. So I took a course and I have to do continuing education each year. So um, that's the main difference between myself or somebody at the bank. Uh, essentially, anyone can sell mortgages at the bank. And the second main point is that I can access, you know, multiple lenders on all scales. So like we said, the A space, the alternative space, and then there's obviously private. So those are the the main the main components and then i just i do all the legwork like i shop around i do you know find you the best rates and find you the best option for the situation that you're in um and i never get paid until we've closed so and you don't pay me the banks pay me so i usually fight a little bit harder for deals because it's my livelihood it's my yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> how i make money so yeah it's in my best interest that you get the best mortgage possible so then how would you be like going to a, uh, an insurance broker, for example, who can find, you know, eight different providers for your policy as opposed to going to TD insurance or mm -hmm. the, yeah. pick out the cooperators, but the cooperators, they're only selling their product. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's how I often explain it to people is that it's, it's exactly like insurance brokers. Yeah. 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 So, you know, and you're and and you work different hours than banks do. I tell you that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I do and I pick up my phone, which I hear from a lot of clients that I've trying to been getting a hold of my bank for like three weeks. I just can't get a hold of them. And so that's and and the convenience of it all too and how our systems are set up. Oftentimes clients don't even have to come and see me. It's done, you know, over the phone or email or whatnot. And I find that clients do really appreciate the flexibility because they can do it after they put their kids to bed or, you know, on the weekend when they have the free minute. So it's, a, it's all about convenience now, which I find has definitely progressed over the past two, three years as well. So. Yeah. Well, I don't know yeah. how many people I go to my bank about once or twice a year. Yeah. Yeah. When I lose my card, that's when I have to go to the bank. <laughs> you need to order a new card. Yeah, so, exactly. So we, we talked a bit about down payments and, you know, how do you have any kind of uh, helpful tips for people how to save money? Again, this is not something that's taught to people. Yeah. Like, like, what are your tips to, you know, if you want to save money? Um, Start young, start early. And I think it just goes back to what we were saying earlier of just put it somewhere and forget about it and don't touch it. And um, a couple of extra points that I think um, aren't shined upon a whole lot are when you get that like, you know, $1,000, $2,000 tax refund at the end of the year, put that in the account because that was money you weren't expecting anyways. And same with like, if you get 500 bucks at Christmas, put that in there. Just 
any kind of extra cash that you get, it does add up. So it just, you know, put any cash away, especially if that is your goal to own a house and that should be, you know, top priority. So, um, and just how I save for my first house was I just put it somewhere where I can't see it. It's almost like a bill payment and, and it came out of my account and then it was gone and I didn't have, you know, an app on my phone that I could like move it around and check on it. I just sent it away and it just sat there till I was ready. Um, because I think that's, that's what happens a lot is people, oh, I want that pair of shoes or, oh, I want to go on vacation and they pull it from their savings because they see it there all the time. And it just seems like a pile of cash they just have when in fact they need it for something pretty major in their life. Yeah. And there's things like, you know, I know people can borrow off RS RSPs, yeah. which may or may not be depending on your life. A good, yeah. a good choice. There's TFAs, TFSAs you can put them in too mm -hmm. as well and it's a little trickier now with the higher in, with, with the higher inflation because i i can tell you right now i've got a rbc high interest savings account that pays less than a point yeah on yeah. you know large large you know larger than average you know ten thousand plus deposits so yeah. you know you're, you're not really getting a lot of money right now you're you know if you look yeah. at it that way so yeah. um yeah it's more so about it, saving it i would say it's getting into the habit of being a saver as opposed to a spender. Yeah. It's yeah. Much, much more fun to spend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I would say, like like you said, like tax-free savings account and RSPs are probably the two main ones that I think are beneficial for first-time home buyers. Obviously, the downfall for RSPs is you have to pay it back. I mean, given it is over 15 years, but it still is an expense you have to pay over, you know, a course of time. Um, and another thing I would say is just pick one and then that be it. Because I've had, you know, first-time home buyers that have given me seven different accounts because they have some money here and some money there and some money there, and it just makes a lot of work for you and it makes a lot of work for me and it just, it's just easier to just keep it in one place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, yeah, because then you have accounts all over the place. So. All over the place, and yeah. and just don't, don't transfer between everything because we have to follow that money trail. So if yeah. you put five thousand dollars over here, I have to find out where that came from and that came from. It's just, it's just not fun. <laughs> so if you're looking to buy a house or a cottage, how important is it for buyers to get a pre-approval? Uh, very, very. It's, I would say that should be stop number one before they even call you because, you know, you and I both know people have called you and you've been shopping around and then you send them to me and I say, sorry, Jim, can't even, you know, get them qualified for what you're looking at. So it's just, it's better to know what you're going for before you go for it. So, you know, shop within your budget is very important for not only use the realtor for finding the right house, but for the buyers to have, you know, a set expectation going in because it's, it could be drastically different between the price range that they want and what they can afford. What about if I had gotten a pre-approval last May? Is that still good? Uh, I would say if you got a pre-approval last month, you should probably keep checking in because it does change quite a bit with the rates and everything like that. So, and I, and I say that kind of in jest because we have had people. We got it in April. Nothing's changed. It's like oh, everything's oh, changed. Everything's changed. No, no, yeah. no you gotta go go redo it. Yeah, I I used to have to qualify people at like five. 0.25 that's what i've been using for the past you know pre-2022 for two years and now depending on the range that they're in i'm qualifying people at anywhere from like 699 to like eight 
So it just, it, that's, it's a massive difference and really impacts what you can afford. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if you're, so if you come in and then you say you do a pre-approval, I find the clients a house or some other person finds the clients a house. What's kind of the next process once they come in, because we've gone back to offers from being all basically unconditional to having yeah. conditions or contingencies in the offer for financing and things like that. So what are you looking for people to kind of get the mortgage application started? So we really tried to simplify our process throughout COVID. And I think it's really streamlined everything because we can get the pre-approvals done really quickly if people are prepared. So oftentimes it either starts with an email or a phone call where they call me and say, hey, I need a mortgage. And then, you know, I pick their brain a little bit, um, chat with them about what they're looking to do, any questions they have. And then from there, I'll build a document list in my head of, okay, you're, you know, employed, so you need your T4s, I need to pay stuff, I need a job letter, et cetera. Then I send a online application, which they can fill out, uh, a credit consent online. So they just sign it right on their phone and then a list of documents that I'll need. Now the list of documents depends on everybody's situation, but it's a pretty standardized list, I would say. And then as soon as they send in the application, the consent and their documents, I can take a look at it within, you know, half a day, not even sometimes an hour. And, uh, yeah, we have a phone call and chat about numbers and interest rates and payments and all that fun stuff that people want to know about. And then, yeah, it's a pretty smooth process. I think we've got it down pat now. You can get it done within about a week. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. For me personally, for me to run my numbers. And since I collect all documents up front, I'm usually pretty confident in my numbers. Um, like I said, I could get done in half a day. But if you're looking for a certificate from a lender, which oftentimes I do now, you're probably looking at, you know, 24 to 48 hours, depending on the lender. Wow, that's pretty quick. Now, for are you still for a pre-approval? Yeah, yeah. But as far as the, yeah. the, the, the complete approval, uh, are they still getting uh, appraisers coming in uh, to look at the property? Um, so. It's hard because there hasn't been a whole lot of purchases this year when that influx has changed from, you know, the crazy house prices to kind of the mellowing a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the year goes in terms of that. My guess is probably yes, because the values aren't going to be there the same way they have been in previous years. Um, but what they usually do is they'll run an internal evaluation on the property, on whatever lender system they have. And if the value doesn't come back in, that's when they send an appraiser out. So oftentimes with insured approvals, they won't send an appraiser out. But if you're looking to do like a refinance or something along th of that nature, chances are you'll need an appraisal. Yeah. And the, I, I know I was talking to one of the appraisers yesterday in the Perry Sound area here, and they're certainly not as busy as they were. No, no, no. And I think that's just due to you know, the lack of movement. I think everyone was kind of at a, like a standstill, we're scared moment, uh, the later part of last year and the beginning part of this year, just because they didn't know what was going on with rates and there was a lot of scary things in the news. So I think now things have started to calm down. Bank of Canada announced that, you know, they're more than likely gonna hold with their next meeting. So that's good news. Um, so I think things are gonna start to pick up again, but it's definitely been interesting. Yeah, and our, our, 
Yeah, and it, it is, and it's like I, I, we're still looking at. If you look at the fifty-year kind of trend line of mortgages, we're still a couple points below that. It's just oh, yeah. you know the one point eight percent mortgages was not going to last forever. That was yeah. kind of a result of COVID and all the you know the economic stuff and the liquidity was put into the markets and yeah. people were afraid of things so they just took mortgages basically down to zero i think the prime yeah. rate was down below zero at one point and yeah 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 and it's just <laughs> but it's, that that's not normal in you know you know the biggest problem that we have over here with our market i'm not sure if it's the same over where you are in huntsville but we have no inventory mm-hmm. we're definitely starting to pick up on that I follow a lot of realtors, you know, Instagrams and stuff, because that's the best place to get new listing information. Um, So I've seen a lot in the past few weeks, a lot Hmm. of new inventory, because I do feel like as soon as the sun starts to shine and, you know, people want to get outside again, I do find that that spring market tends to hit. So we're starting to see that over here in Huntsville a little bit. Yeah, the the phone started to ring a little bit more here, but it's still pretty sleepy. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see. And we've got buyer. We we you know we got lots of buyers. Yeah. And yeah. we're just having just be patient for the inventories. This the levels to start to climb back up. Yeah, exactly. But, and and that's what I'm telling my clients as well. And same with same with interest rates too. Um, like you mentioned, like they weren't going to stay at 1.8 forever, and I and I don't believe they're going to stay where they are even for this year. I do think they'll probably start to creep back down obviously not to what they were but somewhere you know within the realm of normality so is that is that belief and i tend to agree with you on that you know are you giving different advice to to uh, people getting mortgages now maybe shorter terms on the mortgage yeah we're doing a lot of like two-year three-year terms yeah depending on what they're thinking yeah because the cheapest mortgage i think right now is the five-year fix is it not of course yeah it was I would say for about two weeks, it was the three year. And then I think lenders started to pick up on the fact that we, like brokers and everyone was throwing out that three year. So they obviously upped that. So that's, yeah, but it's still the insured five year fix. Well, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting year. We'll probably yeah. have you back towards at some point in the year to kind of, you know, do the forensics of what happened with 2023. It's always interesting once you get through the season to kind of see what actually yeah. took place. You're too busy when things are busy to do it. What yeah. about, what about alternative um, mortgage products? The one that comes to my mind, because we deal with a lot of seniors and um, some things that they bring up to us, like what about reverse mortgages, things like that. Could you kind of give your opinion, maybe explain what a reverse mortgage is? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, I would say like the biggest pro for retirees for reverse mortgage is no payments. So you get, you know, an influx of cash, but you don't have to pay it back. Um, and you get to stay in your house because oftentimes, you know, they're running out of cash. There's bills associated with owning a home and they just, they're on a fixed income. There's no way of, you know, catching up. Um, so those are the two pros I would say. And then the cons are really just, it, it, it the interest accumulates on a mortgage that you're not making payments on. So it does chew into your equity that is, you know, repayable upon two options. Either you sell your house or you're no longer with us. So those are the two ways out of them. Um, I mean, or, or pay it off, obviously, but the interest does accumulate, which I have heard from clients that it does, you know, chew into more of the equity than you originally took out. 
alternatively could you know if you're a, a, a senior couple or often what happens is one of the couples and this happens a lot is mm. one of the couple die unexpectedly yeah and then they go from you know 100 percent income whatever they're getting from cpp uh oac things like that and then one spouse dies and then they're getting 40 percent because yeah. you know maybe one of the spouses didn't work and they're not getting the amount of cpp yeah. and they're they're looking at different things and what sometimes we say is like you know you can look at annuities you can look at just lines of credit on your house and draw mm -hmm. from that as need be mm -hmm. in that situation i would probably recommend a reverse because just strictly because of the no payments mm. so if you put a line of credit on your home you're still responsible for the interest only payments which depending on how big your line of credit is and how much you use it could you know get hefty especially with the, the way rates are at right now um so it really just depends on the client's situation on whether i recommend a reverse mortgage or not it makes sense for some people it doesn't for others so it's a like you said it's a very niche market and it's um i really i really like to do my research on the client before i place them in that because i don't ever want anyone to feel um you know cheated out of the equity that could have been there within their you know estate or something like that so i like to make them aware of what it entails but it's definitely a great option for that situation are the rates are the rates comparable to mortgage rates or are they higher or lower they're they're higher yeah they're often i would say like two points higher so you're probably looking at around like the 70 percent kind of thing hmm. yeah and it depends on how you're how much money you're, you're drawing out of the, the the reverse mortgage to how much mortgage interest is going to be accruing on that exactly yeah and, and how house. yeah and it often um the amount you can draw often correlates with how old you are as well so the older you are the more money you can get uh the younger you are the less money you can get yeah, because old people are not going to live longer than young people in theory. I, I mean, I wasn't going to say it, but yes, you're right. <laughs> we'll blame we'll blame the actuaries with that. Yeah. They're the ones that come up with these wonderful numbers and that. Yeah. What about? Uh, we're going to wrap up in a second here. What's the best advice you can give people if you're looking to buy a house in 2023 as a buyer? Um, get a pre-approval. Have all of your documents saved, ready to go, and just keep it simple one bank account you know keep your documents readily available and just you know be prepared because i do think things are going to happen quickly like you're, you're not getting those multiple bids but things are still moving fairly quickly especially in certain price ranges so have your pre-approval documents and down payment ready so that it's an easy process where you're not stressed out and it makes life a heck of a lot easier for us if we can have a short contingency on financing as opposed to a two-week exactly and and i just know i've i've had those buyers that have you know done those two-week conditions and those two weeks feel like two years for them and it's just a lot of unnecessary stress that can just be set aside if, with just a little bit of organization just have everything ready to go ask me what i need and i'll tell you exactly a list you can just keep it in a folder in your computer and just have it ready to go so 
just put it on your Google Drive or whatever and just <laughs> exactly. ship it all over. And it's easy to do. Like it's just all you need is a scan or go to work, scan the documents yeah. and you have them all ready. It just makes everybody's life much yeah. simpler. And it's gonna be a competitive market this year because yeah. of inventory levels. Yeah, so having 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 your pre-approvals is going to be maybe the, the matter of getting the house or not getting the house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And oftentimes, like I know when I send you, you know, or like you send me a client and then I pre-approve them and send them back to you, I often get them to call me when they've seen a house with you that they're planning to put a put an offer in on. So before you do up all the paperwork, I double check the taxes, I double check, we do a double check basically. We go through everything again just so that you know, there's nothing weird with the listing. There's no, you know, water in the basement or just weird things with the listing that might pop up um, so that we do know it going in that we're pretty confident on, you know, the approval. Yeah. 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 Well, it's just, yeah. And we work back and forth with things like that too, because it just makes the processes go much quicker when the, you know, the so, agent and the mortgage and the mortgage people can talk to each other. And when you work together instead of, you know, against each other, it just makes life so much easier just because send me the listing, I see something funny. We, we deal with it. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a nice thing we've got going on. <laughs> Yeah, and it works, and it works for our yeah. clients. So that's the most important yeah. thing. How can people find you if they're interested in your services? Um, they can Google me, SamanthaGarrett.com, or they can call me or text me. And we'll put your number and a link to your website with Mortgage Intelligence on the show notes with us. Mortgage, mortgage Center. Working center, my apologies. <laughs> That's another company. They're all they all have mortgage in them, so it can they all have mortgage in the name. Yeah, it's like yeah. real estate. They're all real estate or realty. So anyways, the mortgage center. So we'll put those in if you want to get in touch with us. Thank you very much for coming in this morning and having a chat. So we'll probably do this again at some point during the year. We're starting to get some listeners out there. Um, you can you can actually uh, you can find this on either YouTube. You can find this actually now through Spotify, Google awesome. Podcasts, and on uh, and Apple Podcasts. They're all there. Oh, awesome. Cottage, if you put the Cottage Country Insider, you subscribe to it, leave mm -hmm. comments uh, now that we have a bit of a listenership, and we'll be back probably within the next week with our next client. Thank you, or our next interviewee. Thank you yeah. very much. You have a wonderful day. Thanks, Jim. You too. See you later. Bye-bye.